Hello and welcome to the Celebrants podcast. My name's Simon Smith and today I'm delighted to be joined by Ian Willocks, who is based in the Cotswolds and does ceremonies, weddings and funerals and namings possibly, I don't know, I haven't asked that, across Oxfordshire and the adjoining counties. Ian, thanks ever so much for, for joining us. Well, let's answer that first question to start with. Do you do namings as well? I do all three ceremonies and I do training and I do mentoring. So it's pretty comprehensive. Oh, you really are the doyen of ceremonies. Thank you very much for taking the time to to join me. So I always ask people on the podcast why they got into this work. How did you become involved in humanist ceremonies? I'll give you the long answer and you can edit it down. Um, I grew up in Zambia. Um, There was a version of humanism promoted back in the 60s there. Uh, I discovered recently going through old papers that I even wrote a religious education essay on humanism, which must have rather puzzled my teacher, but there you go. But the real Damascene moment came at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. Grace Grace Cathedral's on Nob Hill. It's where Silicon Valley go to worship. It's magnificent and earthquake-proof. And I was there for the installation of the dean, who was a friend and didn't have any family, so we went out to San Francisco to kind of give her support and at the moment as she was installed and this great cathedral and the sun shining and I suddenly thought you know all these years I've sat on the fence and frankly all of this is fantastic and works doesn't need a god to work and it's time I stopped sitting on the fence and that's the point at which I decided to look more closely at becoming serious about my humanism and ultimately became a celebrant. Is that a move towards humanism or was it a recognition of your atheism? Uh, agnosticism, to be technically correct. Immediately after that, I started trying to pitch documentary ideas to the BBC. I was then running a production company. And um, humanism in Scotland, humanist weddings was really taking off. It was a very interesting shift in the way people celebrated their lives. But the BBC weren't interested. So I got tired of pitching to them and thought, oh, just, just become a celebrant. On your website, you start with a very simple phrase, and let's talk about funerals to start with. You start with a very simple phrase, funerals are for the living. Yes. It seems counter counterintuitive. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, um, I suppose classically in religion, you're consigning the soul of the deceased to wherever they are supposed to end up. And therefore, if you do have a faith, the purpose of the funeral is partly to do with the living, but also to do with what happens to the soul of the dead or the future of the dead. When you take that out of the equation, really all a funeral is, is a stage of digesting the death of someone you love. And therefore, what happens at the funeral is not for the dead person who's not there anymore, it's for the living. And families, I find, kind of intuitively come to that understanding. Um, and are delighted to find that actually it's a ceremony that reflects back to them what they feel, if you get it right. Mm. I think for faith-based communities, people often talk about, or in fact, we might talk about rites of passage. And and if you have a faith, a, a rite of passage is, is sort of easy to understand. This person is transitioning to heaven or, or Valhalla or whatever you choose to believe. Gone to glory is my favourite. <laughs> Gone to glory, yeah. That's yeah. I think that with with secular ceremonies, with humanist ceremonies like those that we might conduct, it's more difficult to consider this as a rite of passage. But but 
when you talk about it being for the living, do you try and get a sense of transition or, or a rite of passage within your ceremonies? Um, not quite, because it's not just the ceremony, it's the whole process. I know Phil Walder was talking about this in, in one of your other podcasts, where the family visit is often part of the process, where the family just get a chance to talk at length about the person who has died. And there are very few circumstances in which you can do that. You know, when when someone close to you dies, you'll suddenly find your friends and neighbours going over the other side of the road because they don't know what to say. You don't get a chance to talk about it. And talking seems to help. So from that initial meeting and the discussions and the evolution of the ceremony, by the time you get to the ceremony, the family have already done a lot of the rites of passage, the transitioning. The funeral just marks the end of the first stage of that process. And often people you know, will, will walk out of the chapel and go, okay, we can go on to the next bit. Quite often when we go into a family meeting, people might have a sort of stereotypical view of what a celebrant might be. Do you find yourself in, in meetings with families kind of reinforcing that? Or, or how, do you, how do you give them the best of you and how do you get the best from them? Um, I think it's partly by being not not very clearly there. Um, people often have no idea about humanism. I've been introduced as a humorist, as a naturist. <laughs> so first of all, first of all, you start by explaining what's going on. And I'm often very boring and bureaucratic at that stage. I will check that I've been given with them that I've been given all the right details by the funeral director. Um, and often I haven't. So that's a chance for them to feel reassured that I'm painstaking. And by then we both got a bit of a feeling for each other before we embark on the much harder stuff of remembering and deciding how the narrative is going to go, why the music's been chosen, why the poetry's being chosen, who's going to speak, who's not going to speak, uh, which is a much lengthier process. You make it sound quite functional. Is that a role that you take? I think that's deliberate to appear functional. But then once you get on to talking about the deceased, it often becomes a very different conversation and one that I often get marginalized, where the family start talking to each other. And so, you know, a memory will come up and someone else will say, yeah, and do you remember that time? So um, there will be a conversation which I'm noting down furiously, but it is the family warming up their memories almost, uh, refreshing their memories. It's lovely that moment in family meetings, isn't it? It's a lovely moment when suddenly family feel free to talk. And, and as you say, letting their memories, letting their memories free and they start riffing off one another. Yeah. And disputing the veracity of what the other has said. You know, we did this. No, actually, we did that. What are the questions that you ask families to stimulate that? I start by asking them what ideas they already have, because quite often if they're organised, you can get all that stuff down. But, you know, you've chosen that track. Why have you chosen that? Because that's what he always listened to. Or you've chosen that poem. Or who is this person is going to speak? What is their relationship? The people are much happier when they don't know you with, with practical, closed, simple questions like that. But then when they start riffing, you riff along with them. And that varies depending on the families. And quite often, you know, even though I'm doing a, a family visit these days by Zoom, 
how did you meet your husband? And the wife is clearly, you know, going to be a bit cautious. And you look at her and she goes, yeah, it's really embarrassing. And my kids are here. I don't want them to hear. And there's a feeling of families establishing their positions with each other and where the, where the, where the, um, where the limits are. And when people know they can actually control those limits, they become much freer. It's a real privilege, isn't it, to to observe that kind of repositioning. And in some mm. ways, the, our job as a celebrant is to facilitate that sort of repositioning. The youngest yeah. son who might step up to speak at his father's funeral yep. or the mother who will finally <laughs> share how she yeah. met her husband, those kind of things. Or a six-year-old child talking about what she can do for her father's burial. I mean, there are really big things going on in families. Mm. Do you encourage the participation of children? I mean, that's a that's a, it's always a question that people. Oh, shall I bring the kids? You know, should the kids be? Do you encourage that? Yes, I love having kids at ceremonies. I love doing namings for that reason. Um, but funerals, families often keep the children away, um, and personally, I feel they have every right to be there. It depends on the child and the parents will know better. But um, some of the most moving funerals I've participated in, it's been the kids, you know, that stand up and say something. I agree completely. I think it's it's also really helpful for kids to see grown-ups upset. But also to understand the process, because if, you're, if your gran has died and everyone dresses up and goes off and comes back three hours later, or weepy, you have a different view about death than if you've attended the ceremony and seen how it works and who does what and what happens. And it's a much more positive, I think, memory than just being kept out of the loop, which as a child, you know, happens so much anyway. So I love having children in, 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 in ceremonies and I love talking to them directly and, mm. and allowing them the space to acknowledge their own feelings. It's a it's a very powerful it's a very powerful thing to do, and it's often quite helpful for the parents as well, who will be sensitive about their kids, for sure. Yes, they have a, a, fear, a fear that they may be damaging their child by bringing the child to a funeral. But, you know, the first thing I say is, talk to your child. Your child will know better than me whether it's appropriate for them to come. And they're often surprised by the answers they get from their children. Let's talk a little bit about the, the content of a ceremony. I always ask people to, to think of a a favourite reading that you've perhaps either come across or suggested or even has been suggested by a family? Have you, have you got a reading for me? And if you'd be so good, I'd love you to share a bit of it. Okay. Um, first of all, content of ceremonies, I am resistant to padding them out so they fill the appointed time. I prefer them to be lean and appropriate. Um, so I'm, I'm not keen on sort of having a favourite reading to just stick in a funeral. But I have just finished three months training the next lot of celebrants. And one of them came up with a poem I had not encountered before. And she started her ceremony off with it as a sort of setting out of her wares. And I thought it was fantastic. So that's the one I'm going to go for. Great. Would you read a bit? It's a poem called Blessing for the Brokenhearted. It's by Jan Richardson. Let us agree for now that we will not say the breaking makes us stronger or that it is better to have this pain than to have done without this love. Let us promise we will not tell ourselves time will heal the wound when every day our waking opens it anew. Perhaps for now, 
it can be enough to simply marvel at the mystery of how a heart so broken can go on beating as if it were made for precisely this. As if it knows the only cure for love is more of it. As if it sees the heart's sole remedy for breaking is to love still. As if it trusts that its own persistent pulse is the rhythm of a blessing we cannot begin to fathom, but will save us nonetheless. That's lovely. It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good one. We like that. You know, that's what we do as celebrants is, is we share and um, we, we sort of um, take from each other, learn from each other. And what about music? Um, music is such an important part of a ceremony. Mm. And even bad music um, is, is, or inappropriate music works well. But I've, I've, I'm surprised sometimes at what people choose. But then when I think of my own choices, I'm not so surprised. And the choice that I'm going to um, come up with, which I'm hoping you'll use as play out, is a piece of religious music. I mentioned I grew up in Zambia. I was there during the war in the Belgian Congo. We lived on the other side of the border and the refugees came streaming across be about 1960. And just about that time, there was a Belgian priest called Guido Hazen working in the Katanga province, which was really war-torn. And he formed a choir and they improvised a mass. And it ultimately became called the Missaluba by Les Troubadours du Roi Badouin. That piece of music has haunted me most of my life. Um, the piece that I really think I'd use, partly because it's the one that's best known, it was used in Lindsay Anderson's movie, If, is The Sanctus. It's very short, voices and drums, and it really does it for me. Ian, thank you so much for talking to me today and, and sharing some of your insights. It has been an enormous pleasure. I, I, I can't imagine a safer pair of hands for families in and around Oxfordshire for, for taking hold of, uh, taking hold of their, their needs and their, 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 their wants and, and their grief in that's, difficult times. That's very kind, Simon. Thank you very much for, for talking to us. And all the links to everything that you've suggested and indeed how to contact Ian are, of course, in the description of the podcast. And once again, thanks ever so much. For Thank you very much, Simon. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to The Celebrant Podcast with me, Simon Smith. If you'd like to know more, do please get in touch you can email me directly at simon at thecelebrantpodcast.co.uk or find out more about humanism and humanist ceremonies at humanist.org.uk. Many thanks for listening. Until next time, when I'm back with another celebrant to talk about their work, take care. And once again, thanks for listening.